afternoon, good evening, whenever or wherever in the world you're tuning in from. My name is David Nash, and for the past year, we've been celebrating the 10th anniversary of UNFD. It's been a wild ride. Looking back on some of the legendary albums that made UNFT one of the world's biggest champions of heavy music, and rest assured, that legacy will only grow in the weeks, months, and years to come with an avalanche of new records and new signings just around the bend. But of course, all great things must come to an end. So today, we're chatting about the final installment in UNFD's 10th anniversary vinyl reissue series. We're wrapping things up with a real celebration of the underdog. It's a band that came out swinging with the odds stacked against them, who managed to power through the storms and establish themselves as one of the biggest names in Australian metalcore. They are, of course, the Perth-based trailblazers in Saviour. And following a stack of records from local legends like In Heart's Wake, Hellions, Dream on Dreamer, Thornhill, Ocean Grove, and I Killed the Prom Queen, as well as international icons like Stray from the Path and Dream State, UNFD have re-released Saviour's game-changing second album, First Light to My Deathbed. For a lot of us out there, First Light to My Deathbed was the album that introduced us to Saviour. The band had put out an album in 2011 called Once We Were Lions, but at the time, Saviour were at the dead centre of a three-wave end diagram of roadblocks new bands have to hitting the big leagues. They were a metal band, they were staunchly DIY, and they were from Perth. Now, don't get me wrong, Perth is a pretty great place, and as any local there will tell you, the city has an incredible metal scene of its own, but in saying that, Perth is quite disconnected from the rest of the country's music scene, and a bunch of the best bands there never actually make it outside the western state. So what took Saviour from the hallowed halls of Perth over to the East Coast where their explosive breakthrough came in 2013? Well, there's a few reasons. But the big one is a song called Jaded, which at the time, at least, was the band's biggest track. Thanks in no short part to the undeniable influence of Triple J and the rise of social media platforms like Facebook as a way to discover all the hottest bands making waves, Jaded became an anthem for the angsty an emo-tinted metalcore rager for the ages. It's also the song that made UNFD take Saviour seriously. They'd reached out to the label a little while before the song took off, but they didn't have all that much luck. Nevertheless, UNFD took Saviour under their wing and the band dove headfirst into work on album number two. At the time, frontman Bryant Best was pretty obsessed with 2006 romantic drama Candy which if you haven't already seen it, definitely go out and give it a punt. And the movie itself actually set the tone for the album's storyline. If you didn't already know, First Light to My Deathbed is a concept album tackling epic highs and pummeling lows, an onslaught of powerful emotions and a level of humanity that you probably wouldn't expect from a bunch of broke kids that kill time by thrashing away on secondhand instruments. Incredibly, too, half of the album itself came together at the very last minute. Songs like Stories, Needles, Mercenary, Carolina, some of the most memorable songs on First Lights of My Deathbed came together almost by necessity, just trying to rack up enough tracks to justify hitting the studio. In their early years, Saviour had a bit of a hot and cold relationship to the band life. They'd write non-stop for a month, jam out like crazy, and basically eat, sleep, and breathe music, and then they wouldn't even speak to each other for a month. With the way they all worked separately, throwing ideas back and forth in a very unconventional way, 
The first time that some of the members of Saviour would hear a song come to life would actually be in the studio. They'd rock up on their way home from work, chuck on a pair of headphones and jam out to their own song for the very first time. In the year 2022, when songs leak on Reddit before the artist even finishes coming up with the melody, that's pretty crazy. It's worth noting, too, that at this point in the timeline, Shantae Snow wasn't actually a member of Saviour. She went to school with Bryant and would go to all their shows to support them, but she actually wasn't a big metal fan before she got involved with them. In fact, Shantae was a musician, but her jam was more in the way of chill acoustic folk music. Bryant invited Shantae into the fold when Saviour were in the studio for Once We Were Lions. The arrangement was that she was going to sing one line on one song. That song being Vomit. But somewhere along the line, one song turned into two and two songs turned into, well, nine. After that, it was just an unspoken rule that Shantae would sing on all 12 of the songs on First Light to My Deathbed. So the album itself comes out on April 10th, 2013, and almost immediately Saviour hit the road. Between their own album tour and a supporting run with North Lane, which, believe it or not, Bryant actually sold his car to afford the band were touring non-stop for about six months. And then, as we all know, Saviour came to an end. First Light to My Deathbed was the album that put Saviour on the map, but it was also the album that killed them. And as you'll learn in our exclusive interview with Bryant and Shantae, that breakup was, in a weird, roundabout sort of way, what reignited Saviour's passion to thrash up a storm. It is now time to meet our guests on this podcast. Would you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Shantae Snow. I am the vocalist and keys player for Saviour. And hey, I am Bryant Best. I am the lead vocals for Saviour. So when these songs for First Light were first being written, had your band had any communication with UNFD? Um, so when we were sort of writing these songs i guess unified uh this was early days unified and they were doing some great things then so we were always um hoping to kind of score unified but um no we we hadn't had contact with unified once we had it had in our hands i think we um tried making contact and at that point um unified were a little iffy on um taking it or not and i believe once we sort of got a couple of the videos out there i think it was after our single jaded um hit the airwaves and started doing pretty well um you know uh our manager at the time hit us up and was just like hey um unified have uh contacted us and they're keen on uh this record let's um let's have a chat do you know what it was about jaded in particular or any of your recordings that appeal to unfd jaded is a bit of a um pillar for this band in a sense of its growth we were um just a band out of perth that had been doing um stuff a bit diy beforehand and had a few tours and i guess from perth you don't get as much clout over on the east coast um so over in perth absolutely killing it on the east coast i guess um you know our our uh, statue wasn't the same as it was back at home so um once jaded did hit we um got a couple good tours um beforehand you know during the release of it and it actually did real well just online it was just one of those ones that um got a lot of momentum online and from there things happened so Shantae 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not a founding member of Saviour. Had you heard of Saviour prior to joining the band? Um, yeah, well, I went to school with Bad Boy. He was a few years older than me. So Bad Boy's Bryant. We have nicknames for each other, but whatever. Um, yeah, so I knew about that band and stuff. And um, I used to go to some shows in Perth and I'd stand at the back and I'd hear my voice playing and it's just a bit of a lull, you know. Yeah, Bryant hit me up one day asking if I wanted to sing one line on one song. And I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. And that song was Vomit on the first album. And that one song turned into, what, eight or so, eight or nine on the album. And then the second album came around and it was almost like a given, like you're doing vocals on this again for us. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, it was easy for me. I was just helping out my mates. Like, yeah. Can you help us out in terms of years with the timeline? When you, when you first recorded with Saviour and the years between um, First Light to My Deathbed? What, would, what year would that have been? It came out 2013 or something? Yeah, I reckon. I mean, Once We Were Lions came out 2011, but I have a feeling, you know, this backdated 2011. Could have been late 2010 sort of area. Yeah. I mean, I can't really remember what I did yesterday. So <laughs> I know that's a hard question. I've just sort of, what I'm trying to do, I guess, is, is establish the timeline. Brian, question for you. What was it about Shantae that made you feel that you needed to include her full time? Sort of. We uh, got her on a few tracks. Um, I thought there'd be, uh, you know, there's a bit of space for some cool melody for it. And as soon as she sort of um, was laying some lines for us, for me, it was, um, it was real special. I was, I was uh, obviously really uh, digging the sound. I felt it was um, real unique and Shantae's uh, just got a lovely voice and you know I've supported I was supporting her you know since school just gone to her acoustic shows and whatnot so I knew she was um an absolute sick talent and um I guess once we had her on one track then it turned into a few tracks it um sort of sort of became a theme and it felt like you know um it wasn't save you without her after a while so um from there we ended up you know we we're like you kind of we want you in the band, kind kind of in the band, you know, you know, let, let's let's make something work. And um, you know, down the track, it was obviously a given that uh she's she gets on stage with us. The point was when because Saviour did um break up for a little bit there, and I was living overseas, I found out that they broke up like everyone else on Facebook. I was like, whoa, oh that's crazy. What assholes? <laughs> they didn't even tell me. <laughs> but um, when I moved home, um, some months after that, uh, Bryant hit me up because our old guitarist Lindsay and Bryant were talking and they said, well, if you want to join the band, we'll make Saviour a thing again. So, yeah, I was like, all right, why not? <laughs> you mentioned, Bryant, that at the time, Saviour were doing everything DIY. The earliest sessions for First Light, were they very DIY too? Yeah, in a sense, um, you know, we were definitely recording um, everything over in Perth. Everything was local and we were trying to form connections and we started getting some, you know, we were able to do some tours over east from Perth um, before First Light. 
um, off our first album, which is actually pretty wild that we got that opportunity because not many Perth bands actually break out of Perth. There's so many phenomenal Perth bands in Perth that just don't get that opportunity. And um, we got it, you know, a few years into our uh, into our existence and never really looked back from there. But, you know, going forward, I would love to actually help some Perth bands break out of Perth because not not much opportunity over there. You may as well be in a different country living in Perth, actually. It's uh, quite disconnected from over here. So what do you remember about those earliest recording sessions? Did it all come easy? Yeah, look, um, we kind of knew what sort of style we were uh, going for. We uh, tried, you know, we wanted heavy, we wanted emotional and... Um, Haunting? Yeah, we, was that a plan? Was that on a was the fucking word on a whiteboard somewhere? Because that's the <laughs> that's the word that hits me every time I listen to it. Haunting. Was that was that somewhere? Definitely, definitely. I think um that's uh you know a word that really uh comes to mind when um thinking of it and listening to it. I actually listened to that uh album yesterday, just um knowing, you know. Uh, that it's getting pressed on vinyl and we're having this chat today. And it actually was quite haunting. I hadn't listened to that for a while. And, uh, you know, it was a lifetime ago, but I can see where we were uh, going with it all now listening back, even though uh, I feel super disconnected from it these days. Shantae, is there anything you want to add to that? It's a little bit harder for me because, like I said, I wasn't in the band. But in terms of going into the studio, um, Brian had his, like, vocal ideas there. Um, however, uh, myself and Matt Gerber, the producer, we kind of would take over that and I would kind of write a better melody that would I found more suiting, or, you know, and like it kind of just adding all the layers to it. It was, I started to um, really appreciate heavy metal music because I actually wasn't um, really in that scene. You know? What's your um, background? Well, I was uh, writing folk music, um, so I've always just had like my acoustic guitar and you know. Some well, Brian did mention he went to what he watched a lot of your acoustic shows, but please go on. Yeah, yeah, I just um, I've been playing around with it for a good what ten years or so, maybe more. Um, but Savior kind of took over all of that when I joined the band. Um, you know, my sound now because I'm still doing my solo stuff. It's like you know, a bit Pixies vibe, you know, people say Smashing Pumpkins, that kind of shit. But, yeah, it's it's cool. I need to put more time into it, to be honest, but, yeah. Did anybody say to you perhaps this isn't the role for you? Mm, I'm a pretty weird dude, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, we get that. Quite versatile. Like, you know, you can't really place me in anything, but you could place me in everything if you wanted to, you know what I mean? Yep. Like. I don't know, like a chameleon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there yeah, anything so, in particular about the setting of the recording and the writing sessions, Brian, that you recall that might have enhanced the eventual sound? Yeah, I guess so. Look, um, I remember going into that album, especially on my behalf. I um ended up hitting up the guys with a bit of a theme. I, I was watching, um, I was really obsessed with the movie Candy at uh, at that point, starring Heath Ledger, um, sort of like a drug user romance um sort of drama movie and it's um yeah it was a pretty deep movie and i remember uh just um 
I was I was lacking a bit of uh, direction with where I wanted to go after uh, the first album, and I um, definitely put that forward to the guys through the writing process, and we ended up um, sort of creating a theme for the album, and the album does follow that storyline um, the whole way through, actually, with um, a lot of a lot of you know highs and lows, um, both. Um, music-wise and um, even the through the emotion of that album. So I remember pushing that along and we kind of knew where the structure was, uh, what w- wanted to go. At that point, at that time, you know, um, home studios weren't really a thing. So we weren't really hearing them back. Like no one actually heard my vocals until I went to the studio for them, which is wild to think of how I go about things now. Um, everything's, you know, I'm, I've got a vocal booth in my bedroom these days. Whereas back in the day, I'd just write on a piece of paper and hope I remembered the fucking uh, <laughs> patterns by the time I got to the studio. So things have changed since then. Um, I remember we had a deadline for it and we were doing pretty well um, going into it. And then, uh, you know, this band at that stage was very hot and cold. We'd be writing hard for a month and then wouldn't speak to each other for a month. And I remember seeing this deadline. I'm just like, guys, we've got to get this done. Otherwise we're just going to become one of those sort of uh, fizzle out sort of uh, situations. And we're not doing that. So we ended up uh, cramming a few tracks in at the end, you know, I think kind of like I was with my homework back in the day, you know, probably about 50% of it happened in the last, uh, you know, couple weeks leading into that album. So, you know, any uh, or or any songs in particular that were in that, back half of the recording process yeah totally um i can tell i can tell you just from looking at him because i remember just being mad stressed out being like guys you guys are hitting the studio like next week and i've i I haven't even heard these fucking tracks yet and i've got to write vocals to them like you know be considerate your dogs but um yeah, a lot of it happened on the back end. So uh, stories that came together real last minute. Um, mercenary, escape, collapse, needles, and Carolina. Th- those were all real last minute tunes. We probably Literally uh, about fifty percent of the album. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Real stressful, actually. I remember losing sleep uh, back in the day over that shit, but um. So when it comes when it comes together, do you remember where you all were when you first heard it? Yeah, yeah, we were um very much uh, going to the studio. You know, we we had a couple week block at the studio where you know we'd go to work, go there afterwards, and we were kind of slowly seeing it piece together. So for for us, it was the first time actually hearing it. We kind of had some um, shitty guitar demos of what they could sound like, but it was the first time anyone hearing vocals over it. So. You know, I'd spend, you know, I'd spend a day there doing vocals. Shantae would be in, and then I'd get a couple of the guys rocking up in their uh, high viz to come check out what we've done, and they're like, "Oh fuck, is this what this tune sounds like?" And um, it was definitely magical back then because it felt like uh, a new present every day. But um, these days, that would stress me out uh, playing it that way. But I think that's just a part of the times. Hey, that's you know, two thousand and. 12 2013 compared to uh 10 years later almost it's a different Shantae, do you have any memories of that time basically just in the studio that's when i first had it all come together and then listening to it back i guess it would have been in my 
shitty car that I first had when I was, you know, 18 or 19, however old I was. What was the car? Um, it was a Hyundai Accent. Don't you? I, I've owned two, okay? <laughs> They've been my last two cars. I loved it. It was Don't the you, best. Don't it was you a manual. Dare. Don't, you, <laughs> Don't dare. you dare. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so it comes out. And from what we can establish is that, yeah, you've probably got a bit of credibility in your home state or your home city. And you're saying, Brian, earlier that you're starting to develop a bit of credibility on the East Coast as well. You know, they say it in the AFL, Western Australian teams say it, until you're winning in Melbourne on the East Coast, they're not interested. No one's taking you serious. So you're starting to win some games on the East Coast. The album comes out. Is it an immediate hit with your core fan base? Yeah, so um, somewhat. Look, we were uh, put it, putting it out. We put a lot of effort into... You almost don't want that. You don't want it just to be your core fan base. You want to, I imagine for a band like yours, you want to just shake people a little bit. Would that be fair? Am I, am I crazy or is that a fair statement? Yeah, totally. Especially joining uh, Unified at that time. We thought, you know, a lot of, we were one of the first, I don't know, 10 bands to join Unified. And we saw a, a few of our guys that we've toured with over the years and I'm um, sort of um, you know, been a band as long as us do real well through Unified, but you know, like the In Hearts Wakes and the Northlands, and I guess our release in via Unified. Um, we, we knew there was going to be um, a lot more eyes on us, and how we went about that, um, you know, was up to us. But we probably burnt ourselves out by the time we released um, First Light to My Deathbed. We were uh, doing a lot of sort of tours. But, you know, for about 100, 200 bucks a tour and everything was coming out of our own pocket. And, you know, coming over from Perth, you're paying for flights, you're paying for the fucking van. That's a few grand. <laughs> and by the time we paid the sound guy and get, you know, you know, take that out of your 200 bucks, you've got 100 bucks a show. And everyone was just under financial stress. Hey, so we were pretty burnt out by the time it came out. And because we were so burnt out, we kind of, weren't really um wanting to keep going down that path of just grinding and grinding and i guess our first um tour afterwards was our album tour which Northland? ended up being i don't know if that was in the lead up to it i think that may have been just in the lead up i'm pretty sure um first light was soon to be released as we were doing that North Lane tour, which um, was a real long tour, actually. That was a good tour, which um, we did also lost a lot of money doing. I actually sold my car to go on that tour. That's um, that, that, that really killed me by the time I got home. I ended up having to catch the fucking bus train and bus to work every day um, once I got home. So that really, uh, that cut me deep. But yeah, that one was pretty sure in the lead up to it. We we're doing a bit of promo for the album. That one I do remember. Yeah, I guess um, it came out and we kind of felt like we were still grinding and there was a bit of um, turmoil in band and everyone was pretty stressed out. So I think there was the first light tour after the album. Then I think we played a few more shows afterwards as a bit of a catch you later because um, just what we were doing wasn't sustainable. And looking back now, there was ways of doing it sustainable. We just didn't, we just didn't know the direction. So I, I guess the a combination of the deadline for the album, geographical and logistical concerns, is what eventually caused the band to, as you put it, burn out. Am I am I hitting that right? Yeah, definitely. And you know, I guess from over over here in uh, 
you know, Victoria, I'm living in Victoria now, living the dream, should have been doing this uh, earlier with um, the way everything was sort of panning out back then. But um, look, most people would go away for a weekend, come back to their work, you know, go away for another weekend. And that's how a tour works over here. But you couldn't do that from Perth. We'd have to spend three weeks, two, two three weeks away from work and just getting, you know, just trying to keep a job and pay for this all. And it's not know, sustainable. It, You're right. Not sustainable at all. And we're trying to make a name for ourselves. So we're just taking every tour that came up. Yeah. And um, yes, yeah, so, you know, some good days. We, we made a bit of a name off it. But um, at the same time, behind closed doors, it was, it was all stress. Everyone was losing sleep at that point. Approximately how many shows between the release of First Light and when Xavier decided that they would either be disbanding or taking a break? I'm not sure exactly how you worded it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt it definitely was a breakup in our books. Um, I reckon there was probably there was probably six. I reckon there was about six months there, so six months of shows, which is probably uh, one. Uh, there was a tour. There was a, f- um, a, f- a bunch of shows in Perth, and then a bit of a festival, uh, a couple of festivals over here to um, say catch you later. Then a couple more goodbye shows at Perth. So probably looking at you know maybe 12 to 15 shows um, post-album to, hey, guys, we've got an announcement. <laughs> and then Shantae gets the Facebook or the Twitter or whatever it was she got. Yeah. You mentioned that six months later, approximately, the band separates and there's no denying that. Was it something about the album, whether it was too good to not continue playing but do you remember why the group decided to or how the group eventually came back together? Um, look, I think it was just uh, realising um, real life is kind of tame without uh, some sort of dream, some sort of goal, to be honest. I remember um, just trying to plan out this normal life that I sort of envisioned and thought that would make me less stressed and less uh, depressed, but it's not it actually it. just made yeah, made me made me way worse. And Art's worth it every time. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things in band now. You know, sometimes you always have that uh, that thought. You know, grass is greener on the other side, and I've been to the other side of this one, and the grass was fucking dead. Hey, so <laughs> um, yeah, I, I prefer it over this side, and you know, bringing it back together has really uh, helps helped helped myself. You know, um, just me feeling comfortable in my own skin and in my own mind. And, um, you know, I get to hang out with my best mates doing something uh, we love, which is, um, which is music. It's a beautiful thing. Do you have any memories of that time as well, Shantae? And, and had your involvement become a little more official by that point? Yeah, we made it a thing that I was an official member and, you know, um, I had a lot more involvement with the writing process in the third album which was cool. So I had like my own lyrics going and stuff like that. And I was working a lot closer with Bryant. So yeah, it was really, yeah, it was a really cool experience and it was really nice to get involved like on a deeper level. Provide us your favorite moment on the album and then um, what you'd like a listener to know about it. Yeah. Look, um, my favorite parts of the album, it's hard to choose between the two, but the end section on the um, track stories I start talking about, um, you know, whispering voices of angels and everything's perfect. And um, there's something just in the sequence of words there that um, is probably, 
it, it's real bleak, but at the same time, the happiest stuff I've ever written. And for the story I was trying to project there, um, I just remember uh, putting those words together and just um, for kind of uh, just being super proud of myself. Um, it's one of those real proud of myself moments, which um, I don't think anyone else in the band really uh, felt uh, as much as I did. And also um, the my next, my next section is probably the end of Jaded, where Shantae just absolutely rips it up. Uh, she sounds so angelic there and um, probably one of, you know, probably one of the old time sort of minutes in Savior history uh, captured in recording there. It's so good. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the end of Jaded because that was like my most like hated part, but my favourite part. Why I say hated is because I remember it being such a battle in the studio um, because I didn't want to sing that high. And my voice has, my range has definitely like stretched out a lot over the years um, and developed heaps, which is cool from doing stuff like this. But um, yeah, I didn't like the sound of my voice being that high. And so, you know, having Brian and Matt both saying, no, it sounds good, just do it, blah, blah, blah. I had to like learn how to separate myself from what I heard and felt about my vocals and what they are hearing because it's two completely different things, you know? So yeah, that, that was cool because, you know, by the time I got on stage, I really trained myself how to sing that. Now it's my favorite part, part to sing, you know? <laughs> it's always a fun time. Everyone sings along. My guests on this podcast, Bryant and Shantae from Savia. We've been unpacking and dissecting first light to my deathbed. Thank you, Bryant. Thank you, Shantae. Thank you for being on UNFT, the official podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Thanks for joining me here on UNFD, the official podcast. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. As usual, this episode was written by Matt Doria and produced by Abby Lou Key. It's actually our last episode too, at least for now. It's been a blast catching up with some of the bands that really define heavy music in Australia and celebrating some of the most important releases in the UNFD catalogue. We hope you've enjoyed the series and we hope you've enjoyed these killer new vinyl pressings even more. You can grab a copy of this wicked new First Light to My Deathbed pressing on 2400 or unfdstore.com as well as some seriously sweet saviour merchandise. My name is David Nash. You've been listening to UNFD, the official podcast, and this is us signing off. As always, take care. Stay safe. Marsh on! Infinite!